Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 27 called Christ in the Tabernacle. The position of this particular piece of furniture is revealing. It shows us that there's a big obstacle between us and this holy God. Amen? In fact, if you go, uh, I think it's about number six or seven slide. You can see, uh, go back one. You can see that if you entered into this place, and you can see how the altar burnt offering is lit, no one could get to the presence of God. Uh, Only the high priest one time a year could go into the holiest place. So if you were a lay person, if you were just kind of an average family person, whatever, the farthest you could go is that courtyard. And the first thing that you run into is a place of sacrifice, as if to say, without sacrifice, I can't approach God. Now, you might be asking why. Here's the answer. Because God is holy. Amen? Now, I I heard this illustration the other night. I think this will bring it home. Let's say that you were in your home and a home invasion happened. And let's say that you have a family, several members in the family, and the robbers chained you to the bed and then right in front of you abused the rest of your family, burned them, hurt them, abused them. And imagine that you were there and you were shackled and you couldn't do anything. You couldn't protect them. That would be a terrible feeling. Well, let's say that in the aftermath of everything that happened, there was a court hearing And the perpetrator stood before the judge. And the judge said, well, you guys feel bad about what you did? Oh, yeah, we feel bad, judge. Okay, well, I I think they've learned their lesson. We'll We'll just let them go. Now, would you think that that was justice if you were the one who was shackled and your family was abused in front of you? The answer is no. You would want justice. Now, of course, we all want mercy, but you get the idea. God is ultimately pure and ultimately just. Now, the altar of burnt offering is pointing us towards the solution to our sin. So don't don't lose your way here. We do have the answer in this piece of furniture, and that's our hope. But you get the idea that in order for anyone to get to that holiest of holies place and actually commune with God... There are some very significant barriers. And the significant barrier is really us. If you, O Lord, kept a record of my sin, Lord, I could never stand. But with you, there is forgiveness. And so the worshiper comes, you know, through the gate, through the one way. And, of course, the desire is to tabernacle with God, to know God. Paul said, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. But then there's a barrier. There's only so far you can come because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. Now, back to the piece of furniture, a little bit more of the description of it in Exodus 27 two. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. 
and you shall overlay it with bronze. One thing that we've noticed in the tabernacle is when you move from the outside, things are overlaid with bronze. When you get to the inside where God is, then it becomes gold. Why? Well, it speaks of God's royalty. It speaks of his deity. It speaks of his glory. You think of gold and you can think of, you know, glory and light and things like that. Bronze is a less expensive metal. And so in the outer court, things are overlaid with bronze. And that can point to our weakness. Bronze is also uh, a picture of judgment. Uh, Remember in the wilderness, Moses made a bronze serpent. And when people were getting bit by the fiery serpents because of their disobedience, they were told to just look at the bronze serpent and they would live. And Jesus said in John 3, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he meant on the cross there. So that anyone who looks to Jesus won't die of the snake bite, if you will. This is the picture. So the bronze can speak of judgment. The four corners could speak of the four compass points of the earth. Salvation is universal. God loves the whole world. But in in the Bible, the most uh, familiar way to look at the horn is that it's a symbol of power. Uh, horns are a symbol of power on animals that have horns, like a ram, and they can, you know, knock into things and stuff like that. It's, it's a symbol of power and strength. And so this is the idea of power. And what does, what does that mean as it relates to this altar? What power does it point to? Does it point to the power of sin? To the power of God to overcome our sin? Probably the latter. But th- this is how this was constructed. And if you go to that very last picture, you can see that when someone uh, walked up to this place, this is kind of what you would see. This, uh, an animal had, would have been placed on this, and it was a place of blood, fire, smoke, death. It wasn't a pretty place, and it was burning continuously. You could never get this image out of your mind if you were an Israelite because this was the reality of what had to be done to deal with sin. And these priests were working, sacrifice after sacrifice. And this is the implement or the piece of furniture that is constructed. Moses is told to build the altar. An altar is something that we see all throughout our Bibles as well. It's a place of worship, but it is literally a place of sacrifice. Some other details about the altar. 27.3 Exodus, you shall make its pails uh, to receive ashes from the surface temporarily uh, before dumping for removing of its ashes. Its shovels to remove ashes and uh, reconfigure the coals like on a barbecue. Its basins, that would be for the holding of blood and perhaps liquids for other purposes, water, oil. It's forks, basically, to turn over the meat on the barbecue and deal with the meat. And it's fire pans. That was for the holding of live coals uh, that cooked the meat. You should make all its utensils of bronze. So everything is made of bronze. 
You shall make for it a grating of network of bronze, and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. The grating is simply the grilling surface, and you shall put it beneath under the ledge of the altar that the net may reach halfway up the altar. Underneath was a net or strainer or grill work that hung below the surface of the grating, halfway from the surface to the ground. Perhaps to hold the burning wood is a great possibility. And then the description on how to carry it. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, overlay them with bronze. Its poles shall be inserted into the rings so that the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. And so poles were only put there when it was moved so that they would have freedom of movement around this altar. You shall make it hollow, notice verse 8, with planks as it was shown to you or the blueprint that you received in the mountain. So they shall make it. Moses receives the divine blueprint. Others will construct it. And that, those first eight verses are the description of the uh, bronze altar or the altar for the burnt offering. Now that is the only focus for tonight other than the courtyard. And then we're going to wrap it up. Let's, let's move quickly. We are going to now see the description of the, the tent or the fence around the, the whole court, uh, the whole tabernacle, the outside fence, if you will, or curtain. You shall make the court of the tabernacle on the south side. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twisted linen, 100 cubits long for one side. And these, uh, this description of the courts moves on uh, to some detail that I'm not sure we're all particularly concerned about. Let me sum it up for you in this way. Verses 9 through 15 reveal the fence, in quotes, that mark the tabernacle's outer boundary. If you're taking notes... It measured approximately 75 feet by 150 feet. I'm summing up verses 9 through 15. The total area was about 10,000 square feet. So if you're trying to get a kind of a, uh, a big picture on the size, that's about what the whole thing is. 10,000 square feet. The tent of meeting took up less than 1,000 of those 10,000 square feet. There was a good amount of open area in the courtyard fence It consisted of 60 pillars that were described in verses 9 through 15, set in 60 bases and joined by white linen curtains. The fence was nearly eight feet tall that surrounded the tabernacle, which permitted the Israelites to see the top of the tabernacle and the smoke rising from the altar, but not necessarily what was happening on the inside. So if you were standing on the outside, let's go back to one of those just, or you can see it right here. Standing on the outside, you couldn't really see over the curtain. It was eight feet tall, what was happening on the inside. Once you came in the inside, you kind of saw the full picture of what was happening in terms of uh, that context. And then verses 16 through 19 describe the one entrance. Let's read those verses quickly. For the gate of the court, this is the outer gate now, the one place you come in shall be a screen of 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet material, fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver with their four pillars and their four sockets. So the curtain forming the covering for the entrance into the courtyard is what we have here. It was colored uh, with the, the same colors as the two inner curtains as we've already studied. All the pillars around the court shall be finished with, furnished with silver bands 
with their hooks of silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, uh, with uh, the width 50 throughout, the height five cubits of fine twisted linen, their sockets of bronze. Final verse. All the utensils of the tabernacle used in all its service and all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. So you have the entry point. You have the curtains described. You have the total building placed before us and the outer court described. When the psalmist began to pick up this idea of the courts, they said these words, Psalm 64, 65, 4 and 5. How blessed is the one whom you choose to bring near to you, to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You are you who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can watch Pastor Michael's teachings in their entirety. 19 chapters later, you're off the hook. We know sometimes you hear Pastor Michael mention slides, and we have made sure you have access to all the videos from his Sunday teachings. The modern application could be the power of the sword with, for example, a police officer. Watching the videos can also be a good way to see how animated Pastor Michael can be on stage. Even if you have to gulp after you've prayed it. And Lord, one more thing, not my will. You can watch the video from today's teaching when you visit walkintruth.com. We also live stream one of our Sunday morning services. Pastor Michael prefers you attend your church Sunday mornings or visit our church, Living Truth Christian Fellowship, as fellowship is important. But you are invited to watch the 1030 a.m. Pacific Time service anytime. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe it? To watch Pastor Michael's teachings and to follow our YouTube channel for live streams, you can find the links and information on walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. When the psalmist began to pick up this idea of the courts, they said these words, Psalm 64, 65, 4, and 5. How blessed is the one whom you choose to bring near to you, to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You are you who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. In Psalm 84, turn over there for a second. Psalm 84, you will hear some familiar words about the courts of the Lord as you turn there. This is Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Let's all turn to Psalm 84. It reads this on the outside when you come into the sanctuary. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 84 is a beautiful psalm. It is sung about the courts of the Lord. Keep in mind the tabernacle Here's what it says. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. 
The bird also has found a house, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. The house speaks of the tabernacle or temple. O Lord God of house, hear my... God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than what? A thousand elsewhere, a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Amen. When people came into the tabernacle and later temple area, this is how they saw it. Better is one day in your courts. Better to be into the, in the courts of the Lord. I've come to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We, we were studying the Ethiopian eunuch in our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. And the Ethiopian eunuch traveled hundreds of miles to go to the courts of the Lord. And the Gentiles had only the outer court. So the people of Israel could come into the inner court. The Gentiles only had an outer court on the outside of the temple area. It was called the court of the Gentiles. And actually, there were warning signs. If you go beyond this place, pass through it as a non-Jew, you will be killed. So if you were an outsider, you were on the outside looking in, as it were. You couldn't even go into these inner places unless you converted to Judaism, which was a process including circumcision. And so you'd have to be pretty serious about your faith. But we won't go there tonight. And so there was this court of the Gentiles, and this was the place in Isaiah 56 where it says that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And Jesus, quoting Isaiah 56, I think it's verse 7, said, but you have made it a den of robbers. These people who are coming to seek me, don't you rip them off in the purchase of sacrificial animals. Don't you charge them exorbitant rates when they're trying to change their money to do the right thing to come and worship me? Don't you do that. This will be a house of prayer for all the nations. But you can see as you step back from the tabernacle and you study some of the aspects of it and you run into this place called the bronze altar, a place of sacrifice, that there's a problem. How do I get to God? Do you think that most of the world who may ask a question like that will immediately think of sacrifice? You know, this is not necessarily the most pleasant thought. A place of blood, a place where animals die, are cut, are killed. And this, this was the process that the Jews went through time and time again. There's a quote, um, just to give you an idea of what it might look like in the life of an average Israelite. In a typical case, the process begins with a worshiper who brings an animal without defect to the priest. The worshiper has raised the animal himself or paid for the animal with his own earnings. So the animal represents a true sacrifice, in quotes. In the modern sense of the word, it costs something to the worshiper and a portion of the worshiper's own life is identified with the animal. The worshiper lays his hand on the head of the animal, signifying identification with it. He then kills the animal at the entrance into the courtyard, signifying that the animal dies as a substitute for the worshiper. 
From that point onward, the priest takes over in performing the sacrificial actions at this altar. The intervention of the priest indicates that a specially holy person or set-apart person must perform the action necessary to present the worshiper before God, even after the death of the animal. The priest takes some of the blood, sprinkles it on the sides of the bronze altar or on the horns of the altar, depending on the particular type of sacrifice. All of these actions constitute the permanent marking of the altar as testimony to the fact that the animal has died and that in the place of the worshiper. So can you imagine if you could try to put yourself there for a moment, you've purchased an animal, perhaps raised it in your own family, and now you've sinned against God, and so now you've got to go, and you've got to lay hands on the head of this animal and basically say, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you, God. And you might even whisper, I'm sorry to the animal. And then you take the animal's life, and it dies in your stead. And this happens day and night, day after day, for hundreds and thousands of years, animal after animal, priest after priest, sacrifice after sacrifice. And the book of Hebrews says, and these things could never take away our sins. You've been listening to Christ in the Tabernacle, part two on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 27, 1 through 8. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in other books of the Bible. And would you please do us a favor and encourage a friend or a family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? Same if you're listening on podcast. Please click that share button. If Pastor Michael's teachings have been a blessing to you, then hopefully they'll be a blessing for someone else you care about. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Sometimes when people read the Old Testament, they think, do I need to become Jewish to become a believer? And that was kind of a debate, actually, that was going on in the early church. Some believed, because there were converts or proselytes to Judaism, that you had to take on the law of Moses. You had to be circumcised, and you had to follow the sacrificial, or I should say the the diet of the Jews and follow the sacrificial system, etc. But here's the thing. Acts chapter 15, the book of Galatians and other places in the New Testament make it clear that Gentiles, that would be non-Jews, can come to Christ and that Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. So whether you have a Jewish background or a non-Jewish background, the key is to come to know Christ. We are one in Christ. The dividing wall has been torn down in Christ. The two groups become one. And in the Bible, the two groups are Jew and Gentile. And they become one in Christ. The walls that divided us are now torn down. To take a modern application, the walls that divide people today are torn down in Christ. They could be geographic walls. They could be things about ethnicity, etc. They don't matter anymore. We're reconciled in Christ, and they shouldn't matter at all. We are one race, one human race. And if you're part of the church, we are one in Christ. And I pray 
that our church in this nation would lead the way of what it means to love one another. We're different, but we are one. You could say we all have different gifts. We all are different parts of the body, but we are one body in Jesus. And I pray that the Lord will bring revival through the example of the church in our country and in our world. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You're listening to the book of Exodus on Walk in Truth as we walk through. We have selected some special chapters to try to anchor ourselves in the remainder of the book, Past the Ten Commandments. I pray that you're enjoying the teaching. If you want to find out more about the ministry, or if you need prayer and would like to talk to a pastor, we have a phone number available to you. It is 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Some of our listening family takes advantage of that number to get prayer, maybe even ask a Bible question. And the number, once again, is 844-48-TRUTH. So if that's you, call us between about 9 and 4 Pacific time. That would be Tuesday through Friday. 844-48-TRUTH. See you here tomorrow. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a monthly Walk in Truth partner of at least $10 a month or give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 27, 1 through 19, called Christ in the Tabernacle. I'm Mike Massaro. Happy New Year. And thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.